Everybody's got uh, different needs. Everybody's got different desires of what they want to do, uh, regardless of what kind of player they are. Trumpet players, you know, we have a category. Uh, we have categories of ways of music where the trumpet ends up in music. And what do you want to be as a trumpet player where you are? This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Chris Tedesco. Chris, well, he's a pretty busy guy. Chris is one of Los Angeles' top call session players. His trumpet has been heard on hundreds of movie soundtracks, television shows, video games, and recordings since 1987. Chris is also a very busy music contractor whose goal is to help his fellow musicians stay busy and to keep the L.A. music scene thriving. Plus, he's always down for a good hang. So, pour yourself a big glass, flip a chair, and let the hang begin. And welcome uh, to another exciting episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang. And I am hanging with Mr. Chris Tedesco. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm flattered that you asked, and uh, hopefully we'll have some fun. Oh, uh, well, you know, I I doubt that uh, we'll have any problem uh, getting conversation going. Um, oh, no, I, I talk I talk too much sometimes. But... Uh, no, 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 no. Well, you know, what it is is, is you've got... You've got so much experience. I mean, uh, the stories that I'm sure that you could tell, uh, whether it be the you know your days of, uh, uh, you know, like when you're you were with the the Miller and the Dorsey Orchestra for a bit, right? Well, the Miller the Miller thing was was short lived, and 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 it's a it's it's a it's a good story. It's a good learning story. Um, the I I had uh, I had graduated from U Miami in '83 with a music business degree. And but I played the whole time I was there because I, I don't know if you want to hear the history of the, the college stuff yet or anything like that. But the Miller thing was a way to get out of Western New York, Niagara Falls, Buffalo. And I actually was in New York City hanging out with my cousin and sitting in with some uh, rehearsal bands. And uh, in Manhattan, this guy uh, uh, said, hey, uh, Miller Band's looking for a second player and a fourth player. It was this guy called Clem DeRosa. He was a um, uh, what did he play himself? I can't remember what he played. Uh, his drum, his son is a drummer in New York City called Richie DeRosa, Rich DeRosa. But Clem was, um, I think he was a sax player. And um, he used to have a rehearsal band and he would rehearse at Top Cat Studios in New York. Now, this is fall of 83. And I graduate U Miami May of 83 with a music business degree, but still playing. And uh, I go to New York thinking, okay, I'm going to try to maybe be a New York musician. Coming from Niagara Falls, there's nothing to do after September in Western New York. Um, I had a job in a musical theater every summer. My grad, uh, every every summer from college, seventy nine through eighty three, I had a job in a pit orchestra at this place called Art Park Theater, which is a summer stock theater. They would do, I think they you would do a month of. They, they would do a month of musicals, which I think they did two musicals in a month, or was it one musical a month? I think it was two musicals in a month in 79. 
and then they would also do an opera and a ballet and then they would supplement that opera orchestra the the art park orchestra with uh, buffalo philharmonic players and a few freelancers and so you know my first time doing it in 79 uh the second trumpet player chuck lorette in in the buffalo philharmonic i'm taking lessons with him he's my first real 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 accomplished trumpet player not saying that this, the, the the teachers i had when i was growing up weren't great but he, this was a guy that was second in the buffalo philharmonic 1979 and i do my first year of college at uh, state university of new york at fredonia because I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a full-time music major. It was an hour south of Buffalo. I come from Niagara Falls. If I didn't like it, I could always just go home. And when I was a kid coming up through junior high and high school, um, I always went to the music festivals. It was all county band, uh, sectional, all state, uh, all state uh, band, uh, all state jazz band and orchestra, and then all Eastern and all national. And and I was a soccer player. I was too small to play football, played soccer, played tennis, played the trumpet. And, and it's time to apply for colleges. And my mom says, what are you going to do? I go, I don't know if I want to go to music school because a lot of these people are strange. Like, I'm not saying the jazz people are strange because those people are hip, but like, do I want to go to Eastman with violinists i mean i went to these festivals and like i thought to myself these are the strangest people on earth i don't want to hang out with them so i went to fredonia it was a music teacher school a lot of good players a lot of good classes but the weather's horrible it's one hour south of buffalo you saw that you saw that blizzard in november with five feet of snow at the buffalo bill stadium right right so jose so jose that is not a joke so literally i do one year for suny fredonia and I go, I got, I got to get out of here. And the, the sax player friend of mine, Jim Barron, goes, hey, did you know that University of Miami in Florida has a jazz program? And I'm like, ding, ding, uh, let's get the hell out of this weather. And well, we can go play jazz and get a degree. And uh, so, so anyway, so after the first year of college, uh, I know I want to be a trumpet player, right? Wasn't sure I wanted to do it full time. You know, everybody says, hey, you're not going to make any money. What are you doing? You're crazy. Nobody, nobody goes into music unless you're incredible. You're really good. You're natural. But, you know, so anyways, so first year of college, I go home I, and I go, man, I need to study. If I'm going to do this, I need to study with a rock star. So I think Dave, Dave Kewen was the principal player in Buffalo Philharmonic, but I didn't think, I don't think he taught in the summer because back then, Summer of 79, orchestras were not full year round like they are now. They would literally get two months off. So Kewen's like, nah, I'm not teaching for the summer. He says, Chuck Lorette's teaching. And uh, Chuck was, I, I drove to Buffalo myself, which, you know, it's a half hour from Niagara Falls. And I'm like, oh my God, this is a real trumpet player. He's teaching me how to do the Schlossberg the right way and, and orchestra excerpts. And so, and it's like, and he's a beautiful player. He's, he, he left Buffalo and went to Pittsburgh. He's been in Pittsburgh since, I want to say, 1980. He's, he's got 42 years, second trumpet in Pittsburgh, I think. And he's, he, every year I talk to him, I still, I still contact all my teachers if they're alive. And he, every year he says, yeah, I think this is the last year. They're not, they're not making me retire, but I think this is it. I actually think this, this is it for him. But so anyways, I go to him for a lesson in Buffalo, and I go, holy shit. 
So this is the real deal. So anyways, I'm there. He gets a phone call from his French horn player who happens to be the contractor at the Art Park Orchestra in Lewiston, New York, north of Niagara Falls. His name is Milton Kicklighter. He's retired from the Buffalo Phil. Still friends with him. And he says, hey, Chuck, do you want to play uh, You want to play second trumpet on Kiss Me Kate? He goes, not really. It's like it's the summer. I don't really want to work that much. But there's somebody here, I think, that can do the job. I'm literally, am I even 19 yet? Hold on. I'm 18 in uh, December of 78. So it's 79. I'm 18 years old. It's the summer of 79. And I've done shows before, but not professionally, um, you know, high school and college. And Chuck Lorette goes, he goes, you're totally ready to play uh, second trumpet. Uh, just kiss me, Kate. He goes, you can't mess that up. And uh, the first trumpet player was the third trumpet player from the Buffalo Philharmonic, Jerry Sofer, who wants to do the job in the summer to make some extra dough. And Jerry Sofer was an incredible trumpet player, too. So my first real, real job, like summer of 79, is given to me by the second trumpet player in the Buffalo Philharmonics, playing second, sitting next to the, the third trumpet player from the Buffalo Phil. And um, what was your question? Holy shit, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Can I say can I say shit or no? You, you, yeah, you, you can say shit. What? Uh, what? Oh, so the Miller Band. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, okay. Yeah, that. So that summer job lasts seventy uh, nine. It lasts four four summers, and I do that job, and it's a good job. Union gig. I'm 18, 18 through twenty two, twenty three. Uh, and it's a, it's September, October in Western New York. There, you know, there's a couple jobs every now and then, but then it's like, whoa. Okay, so I graduated college. I got a music business degree. The leaves are falling. Western New York is not the greatest place to live. So I go to, I go to uh, Queens, stay on my cousin's couch, take the training every day and every night, got the trumpet. Don't really want to, I got a music business degree, but don't really want to do a music business job, day job. Yeah, like I don't want to work at a publishing company. I don't want to go work for a record company. I don't want to, you know, work for a hotel. So, so I take the trumpet into town, and I ran into this guy, Clem DeRosa. He says, "Yeah, come and audition for the Miller Band." Uh, I got fourth trumpet. And I go, "Damn, okay." So he goes, "Yeah, well, um, here's your contacts and all this stuff, and these are the people, blah blah blah." So January of '84. Uh, 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 I go. I fly to Charlotte, and I don't think I don't know if it was a short-term job or not. Might have been open term, or maybe it was filling in. And uh, that's the first real job. You're on the road. You're on a bus. It's the Miller bus. But Larry O'Brien was not leading the band interim. He took a he took a he took a break. And Dick Gerhardt, the second tenor player, was the band leader, and he was awful. Uh, some of the guys in the band were really good players. Some guy, you know, it, it was a strange vibe because, um, uh, it, it wasn't a fit. Cause I, you know, I wasn't a great jazz player and I wasn't a great trumpet player yet. We'll talk about the trumpet aspects of it in 83, 84. Um, but it was a way out of Western New York and it's the Miller band, right? So in hindsight, I'm, you know, I'm, I really love old twenties, thirties, forties more now than ever you know at that age of 23 you think you're way too hip to play the miller band right like no nah, I, I i need to play like freddie hubbard i i need to play like clifford brown lee morgan 
So, but it was a job. I can't remember what it paid. Oh my God, 350, 375 a week, maybe 400, something like that. And I think they paid for the rooms, but maybe they didn't. And so, but it's a way to travel around. You're going to grow up, right? So I'm a dumb, immature kid. The second trumpet player is Bill Spencer. God rest his soul, he's passed on. And the drummer was new. And there's three or four newbies, right? And it's the Miller Band. And you you don't have to play String of Pearls exactly written or Little Brown Jug exactly written, but you got to play in the style. So I'm stupid, I'm young, and I'm messing with it too much. Plus, my chops were sliding all over the place. I was changing armatures. Uh, trying to figure out how to trying to figure out how to play every night and make it work. And this is pre the right exercises to be able to play right. So I think I'm on there two weeks or four weeks and I'm hating it. Uh, and the band of the leaders looking at me like he goes, and it's me and the second trumpet player. We're roommates and we are off. We are off our rockers because we're both not digging it. And we're stupid, young and dumb. And uh, we're drinking, we're smoking pot. And that band leader, Dick Gerhardt, Dick Gerhardt calls us in the room. He goes, guys, 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 you're not cutting the job. I mean, you're, you, you know, you got to play close to the solos or something. You know, it's the Miller band. You know, you got to stay true to the era. And uh, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? And I say, well, can, can I quit? He goes, I got it better. You're fired. I go, thank you. So mutual parting of the ways. I leave the band in Florida. My parents are in Florida every winter. I think I leave the band in Naples. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, going convalesce with my parents in, in, in Pompano Beach or something like that. And I want to say it lasted two to four weeks. And it just was not a right fit for somebody 23. Now, if I was 23 now, and I think the Miller Band's the only band still traveling with a real schedule. All the other ones are flyouts. If I knew what I know now at my age of 62, at 23, I would have done the job for at least six months, got the experience, and then went to a different band, right? No, I was young and dumb, stupid. And uh, so I go back to Buffalo after that happens. And uh, I stay for about three, four months. There's rehearsal bands in Buffalo. Uh, I'm playing better. Uh, you put your tail between your legs and you pick, up your, uh, you pick up your bootstraps and you go, okay, what do we learn from this? Duh, I should have played. I should have played it as written instead of you know like fucking around like so the Tommy Dorsey band managers from Buffalo, New York, Dennis Trebuzzi, incredible lead trumpet player, and there's a there's a rehearsal band in Hamburg, New York. Guy's name was Dick Myrtle. He was a baritone sax player that had a book this thick of every chart ever written. And if you went to Dick Myrtle's and played every Monday night, word got around that you could play. Word got to Dennis Trebuzzi. They needed a four trumpet player in the Tommy Dorsey band. In April of that same year, three, four months after Miller, I go on with the Dorsey band. And that band is the 180 of the Miller band. Even though it's a big band from the 30s and 40s, it's a 180 of the Miller band. Um, Yes, you got to play some written stuff, but guys in the band are arranging for the band in the style of Tommy Dorsey. Um, solos don't have to be written exact. Um, different hang in the band. 
180 and it was a, it was a fit and I did it for about 15 months um you know so that's 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 the story from oh god when you're you know you get you get a little pearl from your teacher in buffalo you go to queens you go on the road for a couple of weeks with the miller band for a month you come back then you go again and it's the actual beginning of your career as a young person uh with the tommy dorsey band for 15 months and you do that I mean, I, I would advise anybody that's young and wants to do music for a living to go and travel. I mean, there's not that much classical traveling things. I think, I think there are a few things that you could maybe do classical traveling. There might be some things. I know there's that Chinese orchestra that travels around Shen Yun, and they've had auditions here in LA, I know, and you know, young players have gone and done it. But if you're a jazz player or a lead player, if you can get out there and experience life, road, uh, flyouts, uh, cruise ships. I did cruise ships after, after the road, in order to save more money because uh, cruise ships you didn't have any expenses on the road. You know, literally, my goal was to get to LA with ten thousand um, dollars, and when I got eleven thousand dollars after a year and a half, between the I saved two thousand dollars on the Tommy Dorsey band. And I saved nine thousand dollars on uh, the cruise ships for a year, a year and a half there. Cruise ships are great because you had to literally be able to play anything, not not classical stuff, but you know, an act would come on the ship, and it could be somebody impersonating a Sinatra singer, and there's one trumpet, one sax, and one bone, and they're literally giving you the lead trumpet part from a big band arrangement, which doesn't really work most of the time. You know, first trumpet, first alto, first bone. You know, a lot of times it sounds so strident, you know, because there's nothing under your support. But sometimes you do have to literally play that first trumpet part. I, I, didn't, I didn't have lead, lead chops and I was stupid playing a Bach 3C. Uh, it wasn't until I got on the road or the cruise ships that I figured out like, oh, my God, I need a more efficient under part to what I'm doing. But I learned how to play a high F and I learned how to play a job playing tunes, you know, the old days of you would go with, you know, you would go to a job and people would say, I think you guys on the East Coast, when you do flats, flats are up on the East Coast. If you're doing a casual. It, yeah. it, it depends. Uh, it, like New York is one way. Philly's a different way. Is it really? So is Philly down? Is Philly's Philly down. down. So like New York is up because the old days were like, you only played tunes with flats. And so everybody just assumed this is E flat in New York, right? So flat in LA, if you're doing a casual, uh and and something's got three flats it's three down right so you literally go on a cruise ship and i'm in a six-piece band i'm in a big band i'm in a quartet i'm in a quint and you learn how to play a job with no charts which is still invaluable to this day right and so those life experiences like that road cruise ship uh what else uh, oh the traveling um traveling musicals there's still there's still bus and trucks that go out um where you, I mean, you learn how to live and grow up and, you know, and then traveling and, you know, the whole thing about traveling and playing, you know, you're bringing some kind of music somewhere. Uh, if it's a musical, you're going to a different town every week or every two weeks and you're bringing something to that town. Uh, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, COVID the last, I mean, we're literally coming up on three years of COVID March 13th. I mean, it's like the most bizarre time since 1918, the flu, what do you call it? The, um, what was it called? The, uh, in uh, 19, was it 1918, the uh, flu pandemic? Yeah, right? So 
whatever, how many years later, you know, so you're talking about unprecedented times. So, I mean, as things get better and better, uh, how do you, how does everybody recover from this? Um, you know, it's through the arts, it's through communications, it's through one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, person to person, either by Zoom, Zoom's great, you know, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one stuff here in town. Good God, if I, if I go, if I go to a different town, which I very rarely travel other than for pleasure, some, I like to go to Italy a lot. Um, but um, if I go to a town, uh, I, like when I went to Pittsburgh about five, six years ago, I saw Chuck Lorette, second trumpet player in the Pittsburgh Symphony for the first time, maybe since the last time I saw him in 1980 or 81. And that, let's say it was, uh, well, I don't know how many years, let's say it's 30 years. Um, and he says, yeah, we can hang out. He goes, uh, we have a rehearsal during the day and I've got about four hours off. Why don't you come to Heinz Hall? Uh, we can hang out for an hour or two. And then he said he had to go to dinner with some benefactors. And I think that's the same night I had a job. I, I, yeah, I had a job that night. So, so I go to Heinz Hall, I'm hanging out with Chuck Lorette. They're doing a Sinatra concert that night. He's playing second. I don't know if they hired a jazz player to play first. So I, I'm reconnecting with uh, Chuck Lorette in Pittsburgh. I hadn't seen him in a long time. He says, yeah, meet me at Heinz Hall. And it's freezing cold. It's like November. It's raining. And, and I'm there with a, a, a pop band from here doing a one-off at the convention center doing, uh, we call them casuals. I call them casualties. Um, and that band is like got two trumpets and a bone and a sax. Or, and we're literally coming in to play anything from swing to like, you know, uptown funk, right? And uh, so I meet Chuck. We sit on the stage of Heinz Hall. The band set up with the orchestra and the kind of big band and orchestra. He's playing second, playing a B-flat trumpet, obviously. And, and I have my new commercial Bach. He goes, oh, my God, let me try that thing. I've heard about these. And so I, I, have, some, I have a couple film clips of him playing some stuff on it. And we're there for two hours convening with each other. Hadn't seen each other in 30 years. And, and so this personal thing, you know, you and I are doing it now. Uh, like if I go to a town, the first thing I'm doing is trying to look up uh, who's the hotshot in, in town, either classical or jazz. So I can either get together with him, eat, drink, or pay the guy for a lesson uh, or get inside his head. Because everybody does something different, like, you know, that learning experience. And then when people come here, uh, if I see somebody coming to town, I'm like, hey, man, uh hate to barge in but you got a couple hours like you're you're in uh you're coming to la for a couple of days i see you're coming you know with social media everybody sees everything now right mike lovett was you know who mike lovett is from london mm -hmm. oh my have you heard his playing oh yeah oh my god you know the dude's a classical player and uh and a lead player and it turns out seth mcfarland the the, the cartoon uh creator on uh you know the uh Family Guy and uh, America's Dad and the voiceover guy. He's also a singer. He's a really good, really good jazz singer, big band singer. His favorite lead trumpet player is probably Wayne Bergeron here in town. But when he can't get Wayne, he flies in Mike Lovett. So he, he flies out from London to do New Year's Eve. And then he comes down to L.A. with his wife for five days just to hang out. And um, so I see, hey, man, uh, you want to hang out? He goes, yeah. He goes, a couple of the other guys are, are gone. Uh, Wayne Bergeron's gone to wine country. Chuck Finley's on vacation. I go, whatever you need. You, you go, I go, have you been here before? He goes, yeah, I've been a couple of years ago. We drove up and down California. I go, 
I go, Mike, whatever you want to do. Uh, it's like January 2nd or 3rd. There's nothing going on. Mike, whatever you want to do, uh, I'll take you around. I'll pick you up. Uh, can I pick your brain on how the hell do you play the trumpet like that? Like, if you give me one pearl, you know, I'm not looking for a shortcut. And everybody's got a way that they do stuff. And he's laughing his ass off, you know. Uh, he goes, I don't know if I got any secrets, you know what I mean? But I picked him up one day and I took him over to Malcolm McNabb's because he wanted to, he, he wanted to meet Malcolm McNabb. I go, well, let me text him in the morning and let me see what he's doing. Malcolm's semi-retired, retired. He's going to be 80 in March. Malcolm says, yeah, I heard of Mike Love, but I hear he's really great. And, you know, yeah, you can come by. I mean, come by. Just, you know, text me when you're leaving and picking him up. And it was like 1 o'clock, 1.30. We get to Malcolm's. I bring a little bottle of scotch from, uh, and he's got some scotch there. And four hours later, I want to say it's four hours later. We're not getting drunk. We're just having a good time. And Mike loved it. And we're just laughing our asses up because Malcolm's got the, I don't know if you had him on yet, but he'd love to do your show. He, yeah. uh, he's a little bored because he was the busiest guy in Hollywood for like 45 years. And uh, so we go over there and he's telling us stories and, and uh mike's fascinated because he's all into the whole hollywood thing and i'm i'm a huge historian for hollywood and uh the studio business i mean that's why i came here um historian for la studio music the inception of it the changes it's gone through and the history of it and malcolm's a perfect person but i mean you can literally interview him five days in a row and you wouldn't get all the stuff that he knows good right. god and the stuff that he's played. So like this personal thing, I mean, I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you're an extrovert or introvert or medium, you know, like I literally can walk up to anyone, introduce myself, try to make a connection, like whatever they do, what's our mutual connection. And I, I find people fascinating. And, and, and so I'm always like peeling back these layers, trying to, uh, you know, I mean, what we do is so specialized, right? I mean, you know, it's such a bizarre thing what we do, right? And then there, there's all these great uh, people that do it in so many different ways. Um, you know, and I try to, I try to get in the heads and, and, and try to get some information from these people from all, it's, you know, around the globe now. It, it's fascinating to me. Like, you know, it's uh, good God, Lewis Dodgeville. Uh, I mean, the guy looks like he's not even playing the trumpet while he's playing the trumpet. You know, and I and I went to I went to London. I want to say it was the fall of eighteen. I I used to play fanfare trumpet for the L.A. Chargers when they moved to L.A. in seventeen. This is a business thing that you want to, if you want to talk about in a second. L.A. Chargers went to London. Long story short, and since I'm going, I flew on a Friday, got there on a Saturday, played a Sunday football game at Wembley Stadium, and left on a Monday. Right. So I know I'm there for a couple hours. I, I knew Stuart Brooks. He's passed on about two years now. I knew Stuart Brooks. I met Mike Lovett once at ITG in LA, Anaheim. And I knew composer John Altman, film composer who would split his time between LA and here. And I've worked for him many years ago. So I knew a few people and I, and I literally, you know, with instant messenger, I said, Hey, I'm going to be in London Saturday night, Sunday night. Do you want to hang out? You know, and um, met Louis Dodswell in between the matinee show to the night show in that theater district they call the West End. You know, he's 
25, 30 years old. And it's him. I go, Louie, come on, man. Give me a pearl of wisdom. What in the world are you doing? And he's laughing. We're having a pint, more than one pint. And uh, that that conviviality between not just trumpet players, but other musicians. There's, there's other musicians there, too, string players and sax players. And it's like, what we do is so unique with people. And there's so much to be gained from talking to you, talking to a sax player, talking to a piano player, talking to an arranger, talking to a composer. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I find it fascinating, you know. Well, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that because, uh, and that's that's a big part of why I'm you know doing what I'm trying to do here with the podcast. Exactly, is exactly. To introduce people to, to uh others that are that are doing you know in many cases uh, the people that are doing the things that they would themselves love to be doing you know so there's right. you know probably some some uh you know high school or college age uh young trumpet player who's thinking about you know yeah. getting studio work or contracting or things like that who better to talk to than somebody who's been doing it for you know for decades yeah. do, do you get comments on uh, when people watch your youtubes um do you get comments on, on people typing in? Uh, they don't ask questions in real time, but then do they comment after the fact on the videos? Yeah, from, from time to time, you know, there'll be some questions or comments. And, and yeah. you know, so it's it's always good. It, it's a good, it's good to exchange uh, information. And um, yeah. we learn oh, yeah. through experience, you know, that's, oh, yeah. what we, that's what we learn. But yeah, I, I remember reading that, that someone saying that, you know, you, you the only way you can learn is through experience but it doesn't have to be your experience that you learn from so yeah, you know yeah, yeah. No, you know back in the old days i'm gonna i mean you know it's 2023 back in the old days what's the old days oh my god now, what were, been, yeah i mean people have been playing music for hundreds of years but the music business per se you know i'm a huge study of that um music business per se in america let's say you know, you're you're talking about well, it's a hundred years basically. You know, even before a hundred years, uh, when 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 the um, you know America's building itself, and uh, all the immigrants. I'm I'm an I'm an Italian American. Uh, I've traced back all of my grand uh, ancestors, great grandparents, great greats that came here from 1895 through 1905. You know, and so the building of this country. And then you had the influence of Western music, you know, orchestras being built in this country. I don't know if you read up on how the, you know, most of the orchestras that were started in New York and Chicago and Philly, you know, that's European players and European conductors that come to the new world to make more money. You could make more money in the States. And so, so then you have the, you know, the advent of the jazz age in the twenties and New Orleans and the music going up the, the Mississippi river to Chicago and then to New York. And so the music business for a hundred years, you know, you've got all these fascinating aspects of it. And then, so the point is, is that there was a lot of people playing a lot of gigs and, and concerts together in these years for a hundred years where you would learn uh, from sitting, you know, like if it, let's say it's 1929, I mean, like, let's say it's 1929, it's before the stock market crash. You're at the Cotton Club in Duke Ellington's trumpet section. There's, yeah, by that time the bands are not that big. It's usually, it's usually three brass and three saxes. It's like the two trumpets. Fletcher Henderson stuff, literally is two trumpets, bone, and uh, two altos and a tenor, I think, or uh, alto, two tenors. And let's say it's 29, and you're at that gig 
seven nights a week. You're Barbara Miley and you're playing together every night and you're convening with people. You're eating together, drinking together, whatever they're doing for recreational or whatever. And that went on for years and years and years. And then orchestras played together, uh, pickup bands, you know, so it's, it's, it's that exchanging of information with musicians that you would get by being out there on the scene, right? And so the scene is different now, 2023, than ever before. And every town is different. You know, like, like you've been to LA before. LA is this sprawling two-hour radius. If you put a pin in the middle of LA, which is like basically downtown LA or Hollywood, and, and get a string and draw a two-hour directional arrow you have two hours in a circle of the size of the community. So I think there's like 88 suburbs or something like that. You know, so so sprawling. It's not like New York. Like it's not you can you can't hop on a train and go see music at Birdland and then get home by one o'clock in the morning. You know, you got to drive everywhere here, and you know, traffic sucks. And so the communities are so different and varied. But between the different cities in the U.S., let's say Europe, Europe's got some great cities where the conviviality between musicians, Amsterdam, London, London is, man, London's amazing. And the players there are amazing, classical players, jazz players, um, commercial players, um, what do you call it? Uh, Berlin and uh, the, the town north in Germany uh, where they have all the shows uh, in the, on the coast, uh, on the north. I mean, there's, it's like the third busiest Broadway area in the world uh in in the north coast of germany the hell's the name of it i got a friend that works there that plays piano he's an american guy from here and and so some of these the communities are different all around the world where you can interact with musicians um you know when i go to italy first thing i do is look up my friends that play the trumpet and there's other people there that play different instruments and uh i want to hang out with musicians in these cities um i last march april i went I played a concert in Rome with Massimo Peroni. This is a jazz trombone player. If you don't know him, if you ever go to Rome, you have a friend in Rome via me, via everybody else. This guy plays like Carl Fontana, uh, Frank Rosalino, Massimo Peroni. And I don't know if I ever met him here. He had come here a little bit. I don't think I ever met him here, but I know him from Facebook. And so I said, Massimo, I'm coming to to Italy for 15 days. I'm on a genealogy search. I'm going to Sicily to go visit uh, this town where the Tedesco's and Militellos came from, but I'm going to be in Rome my first four days. Can we put something together? And I'm like, literally like, you know, throw together a jam session. I've got my trumpet. And so he goes, let me see, let me see. And he goes, to, you know, like a week later, this is two weeks in advance. And, and this is this community thing. And he says, hey, uh, I think I've got a concert in a small arena. It fits about three, 400 seats. And, um, you know, you can play on some of my charts. He's got four or five vocalists. He calls his uh, Massimo Peroni big fat band, F-A-T. I don't know. Do you know this yet? Do you know this guy? No. No, oh, I bet. Man. no but he, no, he's, this, he's this teddy bear of a guy. And he breaks this mold of like, you know, an international international musician, but he knows so much about the trombone and he plays so good. It's like, oh my God. So he goes, yeah, I got this place called Parco della Publica, Pu Publica and uh, the date is uh, March 31st. And uh, can you send me some of your charts from your big band album? We'll, we'll, 
will learn some of your charts. His horn players are part-timers, but his rhythm section is full-timers. The rhythm section is great. The horn players are very good, but like, you know, the, the, the first tenor player is a dentist, right? And, and the guy plays great, but, uh, you know, uh, on the between the rehearsal and the concert at night, I'm asking, these, and I speak pretty good Italian for 25 years, and they, most of them speak English in Rome. And he tells me he's a dentist. I go, you're a dentist? I go, get out of here. He goes, yeah. And one of the singers is a, a, a seismologist, Monica Picconi. She's a seismologist. And I'm like, so anyways, Massimo Peroni puts together this concert. Oh, God, and it's COVID. It's, uh, you know, it's like, what is it? Uh, what year was it? It was, it's two years past COVID, kind of. There's a, there's a break in the action. And there's about 250 people that show up. And they learn three of my charts. And I play on a bunch of their stuff. And some stuff we're just making up on the spot. So we didn't rehearse everything. And uh, and I'm trying my Italian on the audience and they're appreciating it because they really like when you try to speak their language there. They love they love you getting into their culture. And like, had I never reached out to him and said, yeah, you know, like, and, you know, hey, hey, Massimo, uh, do you want to just go to dinner? You know, I literally put it out there, you know, let's get some, you know, because you don't know what comes out of stuff, right? And this global community of, of musicians that we have that's even smaller than ever because of the, of, of the internet and, and uh, globalization, it's just so fascinating. We had a blast. I had a blast. It was like a dream. Like, can I, I didn't make, I said, I don't want any money. Nobody gives me any money. You guys make any money at the door. It's all your guys' money. And I'm buying you dinner, which was a great pizza dinner that we had, authentic Roman pizza. And, and the gal goes and gets it. And I go, no, 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 no. Here's the euros for the thing. She goes, no, 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 no. You're my, <clears throat> you're our guest. You're busy. I go, no, I have made you guys leave the house in the rain and come and do my stuff. You're my guest. I got the, I got the pizza dinner, you know, and then like lifetime experience. Like it's, it's just so, I think it's an incredible time to do what we do, but there's many things that are not there that used to happen automatically all the time in years past, yeah. you know, it, it's difficult. So for a young person, you, you got to really try hard, harder than ever to make things happen. Like, I, I don't see things just falling on people's laps anymore. Do you? Um, no, right. No, no, not really. I mean, it, I think it does. Uh, in some ways, but it, I mean, it always will, uh, as a friend of mine was saying to me last year, the other night, he's like, you know, remember, you know, fortune favors the brave. So the people, <laughs> the people that, that, that put them, put themselves out there and make themselves open for things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the things that, that things happen for, you know, it, it, and it's not, it's not so much like hustling. It's just, and, and, and it's not playing games. It's just being genuine. And like you said, you know, being out there and making connections with people, like real human connection, not, not, yeah. not transactional kind of connections. It's no. you, you hook up with people because you want to, you, you find them interesting and you, you just want to be around them. And then if something comes out of it, then that's great. And if nothing more comes out of it than the fact that you had an enjoyable evening, you hit some pizza, you got to play some tunes, then, yeah. then that's it as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's still going on, but um, yeah, I, I I feel like you know we have become a little bit more jaded and transactional. It's it, yeah, you know, there's a whole lot of well, what's in it for me, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. which yeah, yeah whatever. But you know, yeah, it, it's such a people business, and and it and it 
it's always been that, you know, but I think it's more important than ever now because I think there's, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say there's less opportunities. I want to say the opportunities are different. They're, 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 they're diverse and they're, they're definitely less, but I don't want to say there's none, but they're definitely different. And so, and some of those don't involve hanging out with people, but at the end of the day, I mean, you can, you can, you literally for this hour and a half that you, or however long you want to go, um, you can ask me any question about trumpet playing, about musician contracting, about music business, about people business. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, people want to hang around with other people they like. And so, and it's the same with the studio business. The studio business here in LA is the most, um, what do you call it? I don't, I don't want to say on, on a general basis, it's fake. Um, it's Hollywood, you know? So how do you know Hollywood is lying to you? Oh, Hollywood's moving its mouth, you know? So there's posing, there's jockeying for position, there's knives in the back, uh, there's back talk, there's uh, destroying of careers, there's creation of careers, careers. And, it, and it's not just like actors and it's mu musical stuff too. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's competitive, um, but nobody gets anywhere competitive wise by doing things that are underhanded, illegal. What do you call, uh, would you, uh, how would you call it? Uh, uh, unethical, unethical doesn't work. You eventually get found out, uh, illegal. I don't know what illegal is. Um, not genuine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, if you're a player, you have to back it up with some kind of playing. If, if you're sitting in a trumpet section for a classical thing and you're first and there's a solo, you better, you better play that. You better play a solo, you know? And so if it's a classical thing, I mean, God, man, there's classical trumpet players here in LA that just, just play classical that play beautiful, you know? And, hopefully they're hired for the right job the casting and, and me as a uh, <clears throat> me as a uh, trumpet player musician contractor musician contracting thing is is more of a casting agent than it is a hire of musical ability mm. okay so and i don't know if it's the same in different towns across the u.s or not um i'm casting personality first and playing second, and some people might say, "The hell is he talking about?" If somebody plays great, you know, he's got to get the job, right? I mean, this maybe this is a twenty-one-year-old. Good God, uh, uh, this this person plays a double C above everybody else, and he he's the greatest trumpet player alive. Yeah, but guess what? If nobody wants to hang out with that player, he is not going to be on my job. Like in my database, uh, and I hire everything. You know, I didn't initially start out like. You know, all of a sudden you hang out your shingle. I'm a contractor. You know, I don't want to say I fell into it, but it made perfect sense because I, I had this music business degree. But, you know, you go to, I went to University of Miami, got, it, it used to be called music merchandising. And you studied uh, publishing, publishing, copyright, record companies, music business companies. You studied uh, business law, finance, uh, accounting, 
all these other business classes that are straight up business classes that almost killed me as a trumpet player. Finance 351, I had to beg for a C and stay up all night to get the final to graduate. You know, so like, you know, you're you're a trumpet player, you're a you're a business major. I think I'm 30 credits, two semesters short of a business degree, but that doesn't teach you how to music contract. You you do get one year, your last year of working uh, in in music related subjects. And my internship to graduate was managing the second jazz band, big band, and the second band, small group. And I was booking them gigs on campus, booking them around uh, Miami. We went to the uh, Mobile Jazz Festival, uh, writing grants for them, getting hotel rooms, uh, booking itinerary. And that was the beginning of like, hey, this there's a music business out there and you can make money as a music business person. So like, but but the contracting thing, I come to LA, I drive out here, History-wise, for me, February 1st of 1987, which is 20, 36 years ago, 36 years ago, not coming out to be a music contractor at all. Trumpet player. I want to be a trumpet player in Los Angeles. My cousin was a famous studio guitar player, Tommy Tedesco. You've heard of him, right? Of course. Uh, part of the Wrecking Crew, part of like, good God, I think he started doing sessions in like 1955 or 60. And he went, uh, he died in 97. So he probably quit five years. So up to 1992. So, so let's, say it's, let's say it's 62 to 92. So 30 years, he's number one guitarist in Los Angeles playing everything. TV shows, on camera. Uh, he was in the Fernwood Tonight Show, uh, Fernwood Tonight Band. I think he was in the Gong Show too. I think he was on camera in the Gong Show. Um, you know, and he played, his last part of his career was in movies, making his most money. And uh, so once you realize you want to go to L.A., you want to be a studio trumpet player like Tommy Tedesco is a studio guitar player. And there's nothing that prepares you for being a studio player other than you got to go start doing studio jobs. And you literally start at the free session and somebody throws a piece of music in front of you and you're like, oh, fuck. Uh, I got to sight read that, you know, and I got to play it 18 times. You know, there's, I, I don't know if there's a preparation for it in college either. I mean, sight reading is obviously, you got to be able to sight read anything. I got stacks and stacks of music. I have stuff in binders over there. And I have two stacks of music that needs to go in binders because I save anything hard, I save. And I'll throw it out in front of a student. And, you know, you know some of it's insanity. Um, some of the stuff that's written now is written by somebody that just has a sequencer a digital audio workstation, a DAW, we call it. And they haven't done the study of orchestration and how to write for a trumpet classically or jazz. They're literally just, you know, they're sequencing the piano, goes up to a, goes up to a um, high G flat, works, works okay in Sibelius or, or Finale or Muse score. So I can send this to a guy to play it, right? You know, so there's, there's some of that, right? You know, yeah. definitely some of that. So preparation for being a studio player, being a studio contractor, you know, you're learning on the job all the time. There are things you do to prepare for this. I mean, there's rehearsal bands in Los Angeles um, that play jazz and big band. When the Musicians Union used to be on Vine Street in Hollywood, and it was 35 years ago, you could go there. I want to say one, two, like there's four rooms that have four different bands at 10 o'clock on a Monday. Could be the Bill Holman band, could be Bob Florence band, could be uh, Bill Berry's L.A. big band. There, there might have been four rehearsals 
at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Monday in LA in 1987. And there's four or five trumpet players in each one of those. And if you weren't working, you were there keeping your chops up, sight reading. Now, there's not like sight reading classical orchestras or sight reading studio orchestras, right? There, those things don't exist. So, you know, preparation for getting in the studios or preparation being a studio contractor, you literally have to be out there like you're saying. You've got to be out there interacting with people. You need to, people need to hear you, um, you know, and it's harder for classically, uh, only classical players to be heard because, you know, you you sit in an orchestra, unless there's a big solo for the trumpet, how does the trumpet player play, you know, on Beethoven, you know what I mean? That So that classical community is a little different animal to uh, tackle. But, uh, you know, in 1987, you could hear Wayne Bergeron um, at the Musicians Union at 10 o'clock in the morning playing in the Bob Florence Big Band. I mean, you know, so that doesn't happen now, you know, but uh, the, the preparation of things that happen now, eh, um, you gotta, you gotta be out there. You gotta be with people and you gotta get along. Oh my God, I could show you how many people are, uh, no hires on each instrument for a reason. Somebody shows up late. You know, if I got string players that literally show up five minutes before the downbeat. And so, and they'll be texting me, hey, uh, looking for a parking spot. Really hard today finding parking. You know, uh, I don't even answer those texts because I'm too busy, right? I'm inside the studio wrangling uh, 30 other monkeys in there. You know, I'm getting a text from a violinist. Still can't find parking. You know, oh my God, what what are you doing that you can't leave your house a half hour earlier? Because you know, LA sucks for parking, right? Yeah. You know, so like, you know, it's a it's such a people business. Like, you know, so why do certain players work all the time? Why do certain players not work at all? Um, you know, it's a psychology thing um, that, you know, freelance musicians, and even musicians that hold, you know, you hear, do you ever hear these stories of like guys in a symphony section and the first trumpet player doesn't talk to the third trumpet player? Hey, uh, tell so-and-so on third uh, uh, bar 44, we're going to make the first two notes longer than marked. I've heard these stories, right? How do you yeah. go to work? How do you go to work and not get along with people? I, I find that bizarre. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that, um, that's one of the the things that that so few uh, people get is that you know your your talent your abilities yeah absolutely you know, you you need you need to be able to do stuff but um, no matter how great you are if you're an ass nobody wants to work with you and there's just gonna there there comes a point where that that bites you in the butt and you have to in like you're saying if you have to make a decision between you know two players and one is you know arguably better than the other but it's just a, a major pain to work with and the other person's competent not saying that they suck you know yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know that they can cut the part why not go with the person who's going to make the job that much easier you know who's not going to complain if you've got to do you know two more takes or or something like that you know it's not gonna be a prima donna so i mean I, i've always made that kind of like my mantra i, I learned that from from my uh, high school uh, band director, you know, who's a trumpet player, and I used to play in, in like big bands and and uh, concert bands and stuff with him, and and a lot of the older uh, cats in the city I was living in, and you know the the lessons that I learned from them about playing had little to do about playing, 
you know, yeah. about how to conduct yourself on a gig, you know, uh, you show up early and like the whole, uh, to be, to be early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late. So, you know, getting that ingrained and, you know, follow the conductor and, you know, be pleasant and, and, you know, all that sort of thing. And that's gone a long way for helping me in my career because, yeah. you know, it, it, it just, people want to work with you. Yeah, yeah, it comes down to uh, you're either an asset or you're a liability, and and so an asset means uh, what do you call it? The whole combination, the hundred percent of you, you know, cover the job, um, you know, the job etiquette for sure. Oh my God, you know, even on live jobs because I still uh, play live jobs, uh, and I do a lot of 20s, 30s, and 40s with uh, small groups, four pieces, six piece, doing um, Dixieland or, 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 or Gatsby, um, New Orleans stuff all the time. Love the fact that I uh, never gave up on on that era and, you know, play play first in a band that just does 20s. And, you know, some of that Fletcher Henderson stuff is the hardest stuff you'll ever play. And there's, there's mute changes and there's, you know, and no rests and, you cut your teeth on that stuff. But so, but when I'm hiring people for any setting, cause you know, I, I do UCLA extension film scoring classes and don't, they don't pay a lot of money. We they pay 50 bucks an hour, but it's a unique gig. You know, you could do one of these and it puts you over your health insurance uh, plateau for the next year. You make X amount of dollars, uh, 12, 12% of wages. You get a health insurance bump in your health insurance bank. You make X amount uh, total wages it gets you health insurance for the next year. So some people, I have people that do these little jobs for me and I'll say, you sure you want to do it? It's 150 bucks for three hours. They go, yeah, man, I'm doing it for health insurance, man. We love you. So like, you know, the love you put out is the love you get back. And, 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 and so um, it, it's, what do we, what do we call it? I mean, I'm hiring people first. I'm hiring musicians second. It's the whole combination. Uh it's um, you know the camaraderie on the gig at this point. I mean, like if you're, I'm, you know, if if you're talking to a 32 year old, you're going to get a different opinion. You know, what the hell's going on? You know, um, at this point in my career, 35 years, 36 years later in LA, I want to go have fun, regardless if it's classical, jazz, rock, funk, um, a pop band, a 20s band. Uh, good God, what did I hire the other day that was so bizarre? I can't remember. Uh, I had to look in my Quicken because I log everything in my Quicken. Oh, you know, yesterday, my job yesterday, I'm in the studio here in my garage. I built the room 16 years ago myself, been in Pro Tools for 18 years. I started in the house. We had the second kid. My wife says, you need to go in the garage and make a studio in the garage. I said, can I have the whole garage? She says, no, you can have this area. And so I got this area. I, I actually need a bigger space. But so yesterday, my job, was recording the singer that's on my jazz CD, uh, Living the Dream, Tony Gala, who's a compadre from uh, Buffalo, New York, 36 years. He's since moved to Boise, Idaho, but he still comes down for work. So he happens to be here for three weeks. Four days ago, I get a request because I'm that guy. Chris, this is Brad Maripoti from BMG. I need to record a guy singing Italian on Hollow Notes, um, the dream song, uh, uh, Dreams. What the hell's the thing? The dreams come true. <laughs> you make you make my dreams come true. So they 
So they get a guy to do a scratch Italian vocal, which the guy wasn't bad. I don't know where they got him. And the, the guy translates and he sings a scratch Italian vocal. And this guy, Brad, says, hey, we need a real singer. I go, well, I got this guy. You know, he, he sings a lot of Italian. He doesn't speak Italian, but I speak Italian. I can coach him on the words. He's actually going to be in town. He's coming in town on Thursday. He's playing a gig on Friday. And he's in town filming a, a, um, a Christian. He's filming The Passion of Christ. I go, Tony Gallo is the perfect guy. Send me the track. I'm in Pro Tools, right? Send me the track. It's Hall and Oates in the key of F. You make, you make my dreams. And it, but it's in Italian. And it's comedy. But it's high. He's a tenor. It's high. He's hovering on high, his Fs, and the fifth above it. So that was my gig. Yet My gig yesterday was charging 100 bucks an hour, three-hour minimum, to be a recording engineer, Pro Tools guy for the Italian sharpshooter. Brad Maripoti's in L.A. somewhere. His client is in New Jersey. His name is Scott Stallone. And they just have a job. They need to record Hall & Oates in Italian. And they found their people. They're zooming in with me. Two and a half hours later, we get what we need to get. We're punching in and out, you know, and uh, that's my gig yesterday. I'm going to invoice for myself for 300 bucks. I did not leave my garage. I did not leave my garage. Is that music business? Yes, it is. Right. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a pretty bizarre request, right? And I don't expect everybody to be me. You know, here's the one thing that you got to know, as you know yourself, everybody's unique. Everybody's got uh, different needs. Everybody's got different desires of what they want to do, uh, regardless of what kind of player they are. Trumpet players, you know, we have a category. Uh, we have categories of ways of music where the trumpet ends up in music. And what do you want to be as a trumpet player where you are, right? And um you know, like uh, if, if one type of music you don't dig at all, then you you shouldn't be pursuing that at all. Because when you go and play a gig or a session of that stuff, uh, if you're miserable there, you're missing the meaning of life. You know, for me, I love different styles. Um, always classically based. Always. When I went to U Miami, I studied with Gil Johnson, the former principal trumpet player in the in the Philadelphia Orchestra from 58 to 75. And I went to Miami to get out of the snow from Fredonia. I went for the, I, I actually was a jazz major my first semester there. And I hurt my lip in marching band. Everybody had to do marching band their first year at Miami. And I'm trying to be a hot dog. And it's hot and it's sweaty out. And then I didn't cut my lip, but I altered the shape of my lip. I mean, I got this, I got this shape of my lip in the front that I was not born with, right? And it's not a cyst. It's not like anything hard. It's just a reshape of that list, lip because I was like moving it. And you're, when it's 95 degrees in Miami in August and you're marching, that mouthpiece is sliding all over your face and you're making adjustments and you're hot dogging it. And you're trying to play high like the rest of the guys. First semester in Miami, I go, ouch, that hurt. And I look and I go, no blood. Boy, but that's like a fat lip. That fat lip never went away. I had to readjust my playing. And then I had my four wisdom teeth taken out the first semester of Miami. They were growing in sideways, all four this way. You know, top up this way? No, all four of mine are growing this way. So I don't think I had an amateur for about a year. You know, yeah. but I still have to play and get through. You still have to play and get through college. So you get the notes out. And, you know, people don't really notice that you're struggling. I probably quit 10 times, you know. That's a whole nother story uh, coming up. I'm sure wise, but so, you know, I always was happy 
being a classical trumpet player, studying classical, doing etudes, doing excerpts, studying the classical foundation, which to this day, if you're any kind of player, you still have to have a classical foundation to your trumpet playing because that's the, that's your building blocks, your cinder blocks, your concrete foundation to your overall chop health is how to play the trumpet correctly. You know, so I, I don't want to say I get bored doing the same thing all the time, but uh, I love the different styles and the challenge of it. And then well, if, if I'm going to an orchestra gig and I'm playing the C trumpet on the wall, uh, you know, if when I go to do church gigs, I bring my C trumpet and force myself, unless there's a piccolo trumpet thing, um, you know, like a, you know, like a handle thing or, or you know, a, a hallelujah chorus or, um, you know, something that's, uh, you know, something that requires a piccolo trumpet and a D, I'm forcing myself to be that C trumpet player because that's the sound. There's going to be other guys there in the, in the orchestra for church. They're not B-flat trumpet players. They're C trumpet players. They're not going to vibe you because you got the B-flat, you know, but you want to be part of that team for that, for that classical pickup gig. You know, so every job title I get, I'm immersing myself as as that person doing that so but that not necessarily works for everybody you have some people that are just lead players just jazz players um just classical just dixieland uh just rock and roll you know rock and roll funk and and you know r&b you know so what works for you what makes you the happiest i need to be kept busy my buddy in in milan andrea giafredi I, I saw him at the end of my trip, you know, first part of the trip playing in Rome. I got my trumpet. I whipped out my trumpet everywhere I went. I sat in with an opera singer in Florence. This guy's got a boom box, Bluetooth. Guy's from Russia. He left Russia before the Ukrainian bombings. You know, he said, I'm getting, he's, he's in Florence. He's studying to become a tenor instead of a baritone. And he's singing, he's singing, he's singing O Solo Mio in the streets of Florence. I say, hey man, what key are you in? He goes, uh, I'm, uh, I'm an F. I go cool. He puts on the track. I play the intro. I'm 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 filling, and then we're going back and forth. And they're throwing euros at him. And I got video of it and me in the streets of Florence with this guy Misha. You know, it was so much fun. So like I'm I'm on WhatsApp with him now. He says, "When are you coming back to Florence?" Guy makes the guy makes 500 euro a day in the streets of Florence when it's not raining, singing opera, right? So you take that you take that trumpet everywhere with you, you know. It's on your back. It's what you know. This is the smallest instrument like you can bring around and play. So my buddy in Milan nicknames me the Scoiattolo, which in Italian means squirrel. He goes Cristoforo, tu Scoiattolo. He goes that means you're a squirrel. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you never stop. I go, it's like a squirrel gathering nuts. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty good analogy. And he, this guy, Andre is great. Right? He plays a trumpet like nobody else, classical and beautiful. So he literally can fall asleep waiting for a bus on a bus stop. So I nicknamed him the Tartuaga, which is turtle in Italian. He's the turtle. I'm the squirrel. Yeah, there you go. There you can go. You, can you tell? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> it's I, pretty I, obvious, right? Pretty obvious, pretty obvious. Well, you know, what's, what's kind of interesting to me is, um, you know, like you're saying, everybody's got to, you got to find your lane, you got to find your passions and things like that. And I'm, I'm really big on um, the power of the words that we use. And, and you know, uh, there's a, a saying, 
every time you open your mouth, uh, you let others look into your mind. Uh, so, like, oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, every you know, every time you open your mouth, others look into your mind. Aha. Love it. So, yeah, when, when we, when people are, are uh, disappointed with their career, um, and when I do like, uh, because I do like, you know, coaching and consulting to pe with people and, and went, that's one of the big ones is like feeling unfulfilled in their lives. And it's like, well, what is, what is your objective? You know, what, yeah. what do you define success as? And it's sometimes it's a matter of reframing it. And sometimes it's, it's helping people to see that what they're saying and what they think they're saying are two different things. Yeah. So, you know, if someone says to me, I want, you know, I want to be a musician. Well, what does it mean to be a musician? Yeah, I want to make a living, you know, being a musician. Okay, well, there are lots of ways that you can make a living in the music business. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, what are you narrowly defining yourself? Is that you can only be a trumpet player? And if you can only be a trumpet player, that you can only play orchestral gigs or you can only play, you know, studio gigs. Well, yeah, so, so let's get into what it makes, you know, what you're actually defining that that success as. So I think it's, it's that's one of the reasons I really... Uh, enjoy listening to you talk about uh your your work as as a contractor because yeah. that's something that you know a lot of times people just don't even think about that as being a job or or a way that you can make a living and not only it's it's not like a job like flipping burgers it's something where you're actually intimately involved in the process of making music because if if you you know, if you don't get the right people, the project isn't going to go as well as it could. If you get the right yeah. people, you know, yeah. you you have you can go back and go. I'm I help to make that happen. Yeah, so. like the contracting thing. You know, first, you know, I'm here for about six months, and a friend of mine from high school is in the uh, uh, aerospace business. He was a trumpet player in high school with me, but he he went to uh, uh, an engineering school. In, in the state of New York, and he ended up out here like working for McDonnell Douglas, and he's like a special materials engineer. So I knew he was here, you know, down in, in the beach cities uh, south of the airport. And, uh, you know, you contact anybody you know from your hometown and say, hey, I'm in town. You want to hang out, go have a drink or something like that. He wasn't playing trumpet, but he's working at this company. And about six months after being here, he goes, hey, you got a music business degree. Uh, I, I need like a five or six piece band for a McDonald Douglas. Uh, we're doing a, a special event and it's a, it's a party. You know, we, we want uh, background music for dinner. And then, you know, we want to let our hair down and dance. And this is in 87. He goes, you know, players and stuff. You've got a music business degree. Do you want to put a band together for this party? And I go, well, you say yes, right? You say yes, and you book a drummer and a piano player, and I booked Tony Gallo, the singer. You know, I met him my fir my first two months of job, starting to do casuals. Those are the easiest jobs to get when you when you come to a town. Is a and well, they're they're called general business in Boston. They're called club dates in New York. They're jobbing dates in Toronto. Uh, I think in Chicago they're called jobbing dates. They're called casuals out here, and the easiest job to get is somebody calling you just to be part of a band to put together a band there's more set bands than ever out here now which is different in the casual arena so i put this band together piano bass drums guitar maybe a female vocal and trumpet and sax let's say five seven pieces and i go wow well yeah i i've done this before i did it in college and, and then 
Oh my God, that's my text sound. I don't know how to get rid of that. Um, I don't know if did you hear the duck? Did you hear the duck quacking? I did not. Okay, so yeah, it, my text sound is if it's a duck. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So that thing goes off. So then, like literally, you pull it off. People are happy. They're dancing. You're playing anything. You're playing swing to uh, James Brown, and you go, "Holy shit!" And the guys make back then, you know. I don't know what gigs paid like a hundred bucks for four hours. And if you drove, it was 150 bucks. So the guys make 150. I probably made 300 bucks. So you make, you make double as a, as a contractor, you can make even more. There's instances where I make far more than double depends on how much pre time I do. Right. And so the contracting thing now, it's not just live. It's, it's, you know, so I, I, my first recording session is probably, yeah, I don't know, maybe five years after being here, and a friend of mine, a uh, composer, uh, says, hey, um, I'm doing a, a big, a mini big band project that um, it's kind of like redoing Escobar's stuff, and I, I need a guy that's got a double A, you know, so I hire Wayne Bergeron, because I don't, I don't play double A's on trumpet, you know, my, my range stops before that, so, and it, and it's literally like two trumpets, two bones, three saxes, rhythm section, and now it's a recording session. And you know, I've been here working five years and you know the top guys because you're going to be playing with these guys in LA. And there's some scary mofos in LA that play their instruments like, you know, like they're on fire, you know? And so you, you eventually do meet all these people and can you hire them? Of course you can. If the job pays enough, they're going to take the job. If it's a unique gig at scale, some guys say, hey, I'm two times scale. Uh, can you still hire me? And I say, all I can do is ask the client. If the client shares the same thing I share, if I want you there, I, I tell the client, I go, you need to pay double for this guy. This guy's the best guy on Lee Trumpet. I want him next to me. Uh, here's what it costs. Now, at you know, what is it? You know, let's say it's 30 years later, contracting sessions. Now I just tell people what it costs. And I say, this is what it costs if you want this done the right way. You want my advice. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's learn on the job, learn the people that you, you really, I mean, I think playing contractors are the best contractors in Los Angeles. There's a few people that played instruments when they went to college and then, um, maybe they went into the contracting business cause it was in their family business. Um, you know, they're on the sessions and they can hear players and you can hear excellence, you know, um, but if you're not sitting in the section and, you know, like there, there could be a trumpet section. I mean, there's a trumpet player in here in town that I hope I never work with again because the guy just does not play in tune. And I have no re, I have no idea why he still gets hired. Not for a session so much. Every now and then he'll show up on a session. And and he's a big talker too. And that goes with that goes along that other part of we talking about like, are you genuine or are you the guy always trying to get points by talking and like name dropping and i used to play with so-and-so but i I played one job with this trumpet player and it had been a long time because i I literally can choose pick and choose not because i'm rich it's because mentally there's stuff i don't want to do because if i do something and and it depresses me it's going to make me uh you know go down a, a, a rabbit hole so this trumpet player i hadn't played with a long time and it was two trumpets on this mini big man job and by the end of the night my chops are wrecked not so much by trying to adjust to be playing in tune with them, just because you, you think you're a good trumpet player, uh, 
and then then I'm scratching my head going, oh my God, he's sharp up top, he's flat down below. If we have a unison together, it's like sandpaper on my ears. And end of the night, my, my chops are like this. Arr! And it takes a day to kind of find, and I, I'm a big proponent of the stamp um, you know, method that I got from Malcolm McNabb. God bless my, Malcolm McNabb. When I was getting married 26 years ago, I was going through like, you know, you, you, us trumpet players, we got problems with teeth, teeth move, um, lips change, uh, embouchures change. You're very lucky if you've never been through an embouchure change. But so I go to, I see McNabb on a session, I'm playing 30s, playing first. I go, man, my chops feel like shit. Every five years you go through this stuff, whatever. And, and he goes, I, he goes, well, you sound okay. He goes, if it doesn't feel right, then you're not doing something right. Don't quit. You got like too many years into this already come over and he showed me stamp for six months. And I, I'm a huge proponent of stamp for playing the trumpet correctly from pedal tones up to where you need to go. Now you're never going to have to play a pedal tone and then pop out a high F concert in the same measure. I'm not saying that's what that prepares you for. It's just as a very controlled and relaxed way to learn how to play by not changing your embouchure that much and not straining when you go to the high register. The, the pedal register trains your lips to not strain when you go high, so you don't get beat up when you play something really high and strenuous. Because you know everybody's got to be a lead player out here. Because they'll, you know, when when you would do these rehearsal bands at the union, and they're starting up again, uh, one, two, three, four trumpets, and that first trumpet player will play four in a row. And Rick Baptist was really good about this on sessions and stuff like after four tunes. That chart, that's the next lead chart, it gets passed down. And if you're on four trumpet, you're going to have to play some lead regardless. And all so when I, when I moved here, I found out, you know, everybody's got to play some lead here in town because everybody needs a little break, you know, every now and then. Like, you know, they might look at something and say, this is an easier lead one. Why don't you take this one? You know, and so, uh, so the thing with the trumpet player, where I played a, a big band casualty in the summer, and it paid good. Like I took the guy, I'm, hey, do you want to do this gig? It's at the Nixon Library, it pays four hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, that sounds good. I didn't ask who's on it. <laughs> you got to ask who's on it. You know this casting thing, this contracting casting thing. Who's on it? You know, and if you control it, it's a beautiful thing, man. Right? You know, uh, and when you can't control it, it was like, oh no. So then. Another gig came up with the same gal who's a singer that was contracting another small band, uh, small big band casualty, paid good. And I, and I, you know, I, I did the suit, I lied. And, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody the truth. Like, Hey, I don't want to play with your trumpet player. Cause he sucks. Cause then you can't school somebody on their choice of who they pick. They somehow right. think that this guy's okay. And I, you know what? And I had a talk with a sax player on after the gig. And I go, did you hear what I, did you hear what I heard? He goes, oh yeah, I'm sitting right in front of it. And it's, he, he goes, it's an amazing thing to this day, how, how bad it is. I go, yeah, my, my, my chops feel like somebody put them through a blender. And so, but you know, it's not my place to like say, Hey, you know, cause I'm not her boss, right? Like if she thinks this guy's great, I'm going to let her think this guy is great, but I'm going to choose to not be part of it again. Now, if I had zero amount in my bank account, would I have gone and toughed that job out? You know, like, so I'm, I'm not going to tell you 
I got financial advice too, like, you know, for any, any new musician starting out, you could be in high school, college, or already out there working. I go, you know, you got to read some books on financial management, you know, um, you know, me being part of this music business thing. I did. And that was another reason why I didn't want to go to music school was because I didn't want to be an out of work musician at 40, 50, 60, you know, 70. So, um, you know, I thought, oh my God, you know, so, and I didn't want to be a straight up orchestra, classical trumpet player. I didn't want to transpose for a living. And the amount of excitement, the amount of excitement compared to the amount of counting rests didn't appeal to me. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I like jazz. So, but, the, but learning how to control your finances, um, if you're freelance, even if you're, a, let, let's say you're a, a trumpet player in an orchestra in, in, in the country and you're getting pension paid on the job and health insurance and you're getting a wage, um, you still got to plan for the times of lean times, you know, and, and so financial management, like, so I've been paying my own IRA since I was 30, 32, I'm going to say about 32 years old. So let's say for 30 years. You know, you start off with $10,000 and your dollar cost average every month, which means you you act like that's a bill every month and you max out your IRA yourself. And if you can afford it, you, you've got to, you know, you're going to get Social Security you, you, if you have a pension from a college. Um, you've got to prepare for your, your later days uh, of having some kind of money coming back to you. And as a young player, a lot of players, a lot of people don't think of that. You know, so as you get a little bit, and everybody's different. Some people have spent all their money on a, on a medical procedure and they're building back from zero. Um, I'm very lucky and blessed to be able to do what I do still to this day. I mean, like, have I defied the odds? I've probably defied the playing odds because I came back from having a damaged lip. I mean, I literally have, I mean, if I, oh my God. Is there times I was in tears? Oh God, throwing trumpets. I don't know if I ever threw a trumpet, but um, I, I, I zeroed in on that stamp stuff and, and it works for me tremendously. Now everybody's different. Some people just do the routine from um, what's the guy in Indiana, Bill Adams. Some people just do Bill Adams. Um, some people just do, uh, oh God, the uh, James Thompson buzzing book. You know, so every everybody's face is different. Everybody's teeth are different. Different things work for different people. But the more I found that I changed warm-ups and workouts, the more confused my lips became. Because your lips actually want continuity on a daily basis. You know, I mean, Jose, you know what works for me? Um, if I play hard one day and I see the next day in my calendar, wherever it is, I still use a day book because I like to do pencil and then I do my phone too. If I, if I have something, today's Tuesday, right? Tuesday. So like if I, did I not, yesterday I recorded Tony Gala and I did do stamp for about an hour and, and I make sure if I don't have anything to record here that I'm going to get to my, my level of like, I feel like I worked out pretty good and I'll do stamp up to high F concert and do some tonguing up there and always end up on pedal, loosening up a little bit, you know, so. Today, I technically don't need to play trumpet myself because I'm a huge fan, and I started this years ago, of strenuous day, next day off, letting those muscles rest. Now, 
I know some people that cannot do that. Um, I know a guy, freelance trumpet player, goes, oh, my God. Uh, no, I can't do that. If I literally don't play every day and I take off that one day and then I come back that day afterwards, he goes, I can't even start a note. And I'm going, oh, my God. So, like, everybody's different, right? So, uh, chop-wise, you got to figure out what the hell works for you, you know, and music-wise, what the hell works for you. And contracting-wise, what in the world works for you? Like, I, one of my least favorite activities now is hiring string players. And it goes back to when I was in the beginning of my talk where I didn't want to go to music school to be around string players because they are batshit crazy. <laughs> uh, here, here's, here's a good example how to get fired off of somebody's, con we call them lists, contracting lists. Uh, session in December. It's a uh, UCLA extension recording session. It's on a, it's on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, it's like two o'clock. You know, and it's like the first Sunday in December, maybe the second Sunday. It's busy. There's concerts, Christmas concerts all over the place. I get a, I get a, I get a cello player, and it was a, oh no, it was a ten to one, two to five, so double session. Pays what it pays. If you're open, take it. It's better than zero. You get to see if you're, you know, you get to see other players. You get to get some challenge. These film scoring classes are challenging because it's like it's woodwind, strings, brass, and percussion. And these students literally are learning how to write and they will write you something to see if you can play it because they, they're learning, they don't know. So anyways, cello player says, hey, um, I can do the morning, but I can't do the afternoon. And I say, well, I, I want you to do both. I, I don't want to go through on my contract listing two cellos and one only, one's only for three hours, the other one's for three hours. I go, much easier for me as a contractor it's all or none. I don't want to be a dick about it, but like, I'd rather you do all six hours because you make more money. Uh, I don't want you to do just the morning. So he says, okay, I'll fix it. So he gets back to me like the next day in a text. Okay, I'm yours all day. Swear to God. Two weeks later, we do, let's say it's December 4th, 10 a.m. This guy's there. We go to lunch for an hour. I come back. There's a gal sitting in his seat and I go, oh, I thought he wasn't going to do that. Maybe I got my emails wrong. Maybe I got my text wrong. So I look at my email and I'm playing on the session, right? So I'm looking through my emails. I'm like, and, and so, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I, I'm happy. There's, there's a body there playing cello and she's very good. And I know her and I'm, I'm okay with people. I don't know as long as the person sending that other person has sent me a badass player, right? Right. I'm fine with meeting new people all the time. So I know this gal and I go, man, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I thought he was doing the whole thing. Yeah. He, so then like, I'm getting a text for him. Hey, you're probably noticing I'm not there. I got a text last night uh, to do a record date. I'm making up uh, uh, cello parts and I had to take it. I couldn't turn it down. And I know that's a freaking lie. Okay. There's no pop artist asking you to make up cello lines the night before. And so literally he did the very thing that I didn't want him to do. I just said, man, I don't want to split it up. And he did the very thing because uh, he was going to do a concert. I don't know if, it, you know, I, I never hold anybody to making more money. Like in other words, let's, let's say, Jose, let's say I book you for something and I go, yeah, the, the gig's 300 bucks. It's a big band casualty and you're out here. 
And uh, it's a Friday night. It, it, it's three hours. It's not the greatest pay because, you know, a lot of times gigs out here pay 125 an hour for a live gig. You can make 500 bucks on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, Jose, it's 300 bucks. It'll be a good gig. We've got some good players. And let's say the day before you say, hey, Chris, I got a $500 full rate, four-hour casualty. I want to go make five. Can I bail out of the three? I go, yeah, bail out and take me with you to make that five. Because as as a contractor, I'm the easiest guy going. I go, absolutely. You know, I, I need to get me a good sub. You own the job. If you if you book my job, you own my job. You are now responsible for helping me with the sub or booking the sub. So this guy, he creates the mortal sin of sideman and dumb shit. And so I am not going to hire this guy for quite some time. And if he, and he, he hits me up by email. Hey, man, just checking in with you. Happy New Year if you got anything. Swear to God, he's that stupid. He literally did exactly what I wanted him not to do. And you want to talk about, I mean, like career suicide. I mean, I'm not making or breaking anybody's career, but you talk about things to do and not do. Are you an asset on a gig, a liability on a gig? Um, Have you studied how to be a freelance musician in the town? that you're in yeah. you know in some smaller towns you you might in a bigger town like this you get many chances right smaller towns you don't get a lot of chances no no very very closed circuit uh, circuit so yeah so yeah. so what kind of gig what the gig you're doing in, in east you're in eastern pennsylvania right right so you're doing everything from soup to nuts uh um club dates and and jazz gigs and big band gigs and funk gigs and horn section stuff primarily just horn section stuff with a few uh a few other little commercial hits or uh you know recording things and yeah so then do you do you see the same people on most of your jobs in in in, in your horn do you have a horn section that you call the guys and it's always the same core of guys i i have one that that i put together and then there's others where i mean there there are a number of gigs that i've gotten because uh you know one of the more top call guys in the area um you know when when he can't make a gig then i become the person he calls looking for for a sub because you know there's no you know commercial lead players in our area so it's like yeah yeah, if he can't do it, he, Jose could do it. I, I trust him. Yeah, you know, and, and that referral thing, like, why do you want to be that guy, that cello player? And everybody in the studio knows, like, they're they're looking like, uh-oh, Chris is going to get pissed. I'm like, I'm not going to get pissed. It's a drag. But every there's other, there's 22 other musicians in the studio looking over at that chair, and it's a different person. They're like, and they're all, they're looking at me going, yep, he fucked up. And, and uh, so, I mean, that your, your word of mouth, good God, it's number one on the top of the list. Do you have, do you have positive word of mouth playing wise, human wise, uh, delivering the goods wise, what else, uh, hang wise, um, like the three or four, uh, uh, three or four fold thing. I have a criteria when I hire people, it's fourfold, but like your word of mouth, is the most precious asset as a freelance musician anywhere in the world. Your positive word of mouth. Now, yeah. like, you know, when you go to a gig and you mess up playing wise, I still don't have the perfect live performance. And recording wise, you know, 
since multi-track recording and, and digital recording, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be able to fix yourself. And if you record by yourself, you know, I, I don't send anybody anything but perfect tracks. And I'm not like auto-tuning tracks, right? Mm -hmm. I'm forcing myself with a tuner on the horn or the tuner on the stand. I'm forcing myself to get as close as possible to a perfect performance uh, so I don't have to sit in front of Pro Tools and like fix stuff, right? Right. So your your word of mouth in the marketplace, wherever you live, is the most precious asset. And I don't know if that sounds like it's cheesy or not as an older guy. And if there's a younger guy watching this, uh, you don't, I mean, you're stupid when you're young. Like I said, that story about the Glenn Miller band, like, so, you know, like, uh, good God, what could be more important than getting a good referral, like a hundred percent referral? Like, yeah, he's great. Good hang, great player. You'll have no problem with him. You know, you literally, that's your goal for your lifetime as a musician. You know, you, you hear these stories, like, uh, let's say it's a famous violinist, um, you know, in front of an orchestra, uh, solo violinist, world, world, world renowned. And then a moniker will come with that player. Not, not, I'm not pointing anybody out specifically, but there might be a moniker that comes with that player like, oh, yeah, if you hire him, you got some babysitting to do while he comes to town because he likes to drink a lot. You know, like you got make make sure he shows up the rehearsal because he might be at the nearest pub or 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 yeah, yeah that person um, loves to get down on the orchestra if they don't play the part perfectly in the first run through. That person loves to uh, beat up uh, brass players uh, if they don't play his uh, backing stuff. So like these things come with people and they're not untrue. You know, they're not like made up. Right. Right. So I can't figure out why anybody wants something negative to be attached to their name. And, and, and that's contracting, man. Right. You know, contracting 101. Holy moly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I mean, like, like, like they say, common sense is not always common practice. So <laughs> there is that too. Yeah. All right, well, man, we could go on on this stuff for forever and ever, but I do have yeah. I have four segments we got to get through before before we can wrap up oh, today. Oh geez, right. oh, no, wait, I saw these on the other thing, and I tried to prepare myself, but I I I I, I wrote them down. Wait a second, but I didn't like really write down. I didn't really didn't write down answers okay. because some of some of these are hard. <laughs> Well, we're going to start with our, our first segment, which is our newest segment. Uh, and uh, this, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you might not have seen this one. Oh. Uh, this is called Go Practice. And uh, Go Practice is brought to us by uh, Brian Davis of Airflow Music. Uh, great uh, online uh, resources for uh warm-up practice tips things like that so some really great stuff so make sure you check out uh brian's airflow music channel on youtube and this is about practice and basically what what what's, this is kind of morphed into is a uh uh keep it or cut it kind of concept so you know when when you're when you have a busy day you know so yeah. you, uh like you're saying you, know, you you might have a busy day where you've got plenty of sessions to do uh and you don't have a whole lot of time to practice yeah. Uh, what What are the things that that you consider to be like the essential parts of your practice, the things you got to do every day, and what are the things that, that you feel like okay, well, these are kind of the luxury. These this is the icing on the cake. If I have more time to get to it. Yeah, you know, it it, it depends where you're at in your playing career. Like, you know, I don't want to say like I'm an old guy now. Like, God, I sound like an old guy. 
I, I think yesterday was Wayne Bergeron's birthday. I think he's 65. I'm 62. You'd never think you're going to get this age, right? So you, you, as things get older, it should get easier for you. And um, God bless Malcolm McNabb. Um, the Jimmy Stamp stuff is a lifesaver for me. And because I've been doing it for 25 years, and you got to do it the right way. There's people, you'll hear that, da dee da da dee da da That is wrong. It's wrong. And, and Stamp made these exercises that are, that are um, uh, their takeoffs on, on Schlossberg, right? Da, da, da. I don't know if it's a B flat or not. Um, and so, like, literally, Stamp would say that players would telegraph loosen up too much for going low, and then they would tighten too much for going high. So he put in this dot, this this whole step. And those half notes in there keep the air moving forward. And he said that air moving forward would prevent people from loosening going down. So stamp for me, like there are times uh, if I can if I can get uh, I have a condensed stamp that I do. Um, if it's a short amount of time and, and I haven't left enough time driving and I get to a place, um, I have a condensed stamp here. If, if I pick out my, 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 my stamp book, my stamp book is the old green one and it's, it's tattered, you know, I mean, literally, I mean, the thing's falling apart and, uh, I think it takes me about an hour if I pick out the exercises that were shown to me to do them the right way. Metronome on 66. Um, and Lord above, I did that yesterday. Don't need to play today. Um, for sure, for me, stamp works great. Uh, oh, my trumpet is. Um, now, uh, some people do, uh, I don't know. I mean, I always start, I always start with, uh, the air oh wow so you want to talk about philosophy of trumpet this trumpet doesn't work unless you put it up to your lips and make that circle close make that circle close on your lips right and, and so you have some people that buzz their mouthpiece in the car on the way to the gig buzzing the mouthpiece does not work for me works for McNabb on the first uh, stamp exercise exercise three he'll do the whole thing right hand on the piano left hand holding the mouthpiece and he'll buzz that whole exercise first. It takes forever. That, that takes a half hour by itself. It doesn't work for me. And then I, I, I went to a physics of music class and gave him a, a few talks, like a couple years in a row. There was a teacher out in Camarillo. And it was a physics of music. And he, and he brought me in. I got a referral from a sax guy that teaches there. He says, call this guy Chris, because I also play valve trombone and I play B-flat French horn. And he said, Bring each one of your instruments. I want you to demonstrate to his non-music majors how a brass instrument works. And then stop me if I'm going too long. Um, so, and so he, he's, he's, he's interested in me and I'm interested in him. He already knows this stuff. I don't know if he ever had a brass player come in. And so he says, put the trumpet up to your lips and uh, play me something. He goes, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a, a soft tone is it it's ironipus uh, soft tone mute on the thing a lot of times i use the uh the classic one from new zealand too the uh the shush the shush mute too uh sometimes I, I don't like it in my belt but so the guy tells me 
how the damn trumpet works. I mean, are you into the physics of how this thing works? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So, you know, if the mouthpiece feels good on your face, you're, you got about 90% there of being able to play something, right? Some people are more natural than others. Uh, I haven't played a note yet. Um, so the first thing I do, I, I free buzz. I do, I do not buzz the mouthpiece because it, I don't know. I, I buzz the mouthpiece for 15 minutes. It messes me up. I don't know what you do. Once again, it's like whatever works for you. So I don't have a note. And I have a huge overbite, and you can see my lips the way they are. I think that's a low C. I got the mute on. It should be okay because the microphone's on the other side. That's pretty good. B-flat concert. Right? So. And that's literally, I don't, I don't know if you do this all yourself and if you've ever tried it, but it literally just tells your lips like, uh-oh, something's coming up, right? Right. And then you can feel the vibration and it gets warm and a little tingly. And then there's a, in the beginning of stamp is, I literally don't even go up to that, that second line G because I've got an overbite. My top lip hangs over. I can't buzz that high. I can barely budge buzz a third space C, but that's not the point of it. So I do a lot of uh, just one da 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 da. And sometimes that is my only warm up. Okay. But now I'm 25 years into stamp. So if somebody came to me and said, Hey man, I'm all screwed up. Where do I start? Sometimes that free bus doesn't work for them, right? Yeah. Sometimes the mouthpiece works for them. So then the next thing is I do an air attack on a low C or a second line G. So right now I find my ring and it feels better to find that ring than not playing anything, right? Okay. So then you feel what happens. You start with air and then your lips come together to make that buzzing. And so damaging my lips years ago and gone through numerous uh, embouchure changes until stamp, I come to the realization that if air is going to go past your top lip, even if somebody has stepped on your face, if it's not so swollen, you can get that lip in the mouthpiece and there's air that passes past that lip. You know, and it makes it vibrate like a piece of paper, like a reed, or if you blow air past paper, it makes that air vibrate. If you have air going past your top lip, you are going to get a sound. And if you sign off on, man, my chop, I literally do not think about how my chops feel in order to be able to get through strenuous days, tough things. I literally divorce. Oh my God, I'm not warmed up today. I'm not warm enough to to be able to play uh, this chromatic run or, you know, I can show you music that'll make your, your, your hair fall off your head like it has done mine. Um, I don't focus on whether or not my lips feel good enough to play something. I have moved past, my lips feel like shit, I can't play. No, because when you put that, when you put that up to your face and you close that on your lips, you have now physically made 
those lips vibrate. There's the only thing they can do is vibrate in there. And so check this out. I don't know. Am I boring you or is this good? No, no. Okay. Check this out. So all the proponents of people that buzz their mouthpiece like crazy. Check this out. If you can see this, this as I show every one of my students, this. And I pulled that away as fast as I can. So guess what stops? When you pull, obviously, when you pull the mouthpiece off, you're not going to have a sound anymore. But tactically, for the buzzers of the mouthpiece, that you know, and the horn does work with the vibration. But I actually don't think your lips are buzzing that second line G. I don't think they're buzzing that second line G while you're playing it. I think the air going past your lip and the horn, you know, the, the sound wave goes down the horn, hits the bell and comes back and hits your face. So when you, when you break that contact with your face, it stops. I literally do not think that second line G is buzzing on your chop. Because I pull it away, you'd still hear me buzzing that G if I pull it away, right? I mean, it's so instantaneous that my lips should still be buzzing that second line G. So I've signed off on like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, uh, my chops are not vibrating. Uh, and so literally air in that mouthpiece, closed mouthpiece, closed circle, uh, vibration going through the horn. sucker off just like that any kind of air going past that top lip you got a vibration you got a trumpet sound yeah and yeah. so and it just depends on how much uh what do you call it uh, pressure and how much pressure you're putting on your face and what you know so the physical aspects of it i know they can be daunting for young players like you know i've got this you know some players have a half hour warm-up do you do you know that that little bit of buzzing and that second line g tell you i'm superman i'm not superman i have it to a point that i can play i can play i can play right now and not be freaked out that i didn't spend a half hour warming up on a gigger session there are times when literally i just play that air attack on that second line g and that's it and uh, because they're just I, i'm sometimes i get lazy i just get in the car man and i just buzz my i just buzz my lips and that's a personal you know, so what do I lose? Play, uh, for sure, stamp any amount before a gigger session here in the studio. A lot of times I print the music and I just do a couple minutes. And I'm like, man, this guy needs this thing by one o'clock. I got to do this. And then if I'm out somewhere else, the luxury is, you know, anywhere from five to 15 minutes. You know, uh, lip bends. I love lip bends. I don't know if you ever do lip bends, but man, they are gold for me. Yeah. Are they Are they gold for you? They're gold for me too, man. Absolutely. And a lot of people have never done them. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, back, back when trumpets were natural trumpets, you had to make a lot of notes without using any, I think even before holes, you know, so it's that lip vibration thing again. So I hope that answers the first question. It does. It does. All right. Well, let's let's move on to our, our next segment. And so our next segment is uh, brought to us by Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones. And then you have hey, one of the- I, I got one right there. I got a Michael Barkley, man. They're they're really good. Great. And, and I use it on other instruments, not just trumpet. It sounds Absolutely. amazing on a cello. Oh, wow. Mike. Oh, my God. Yeah. There you go. There's a ringing. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. All right, so this is uh, this is called Sound Off, and Sound Off is about approach to sound. And um, let, let's actually look at this from from your perspective as a contractor. Um, so when you're when you're looking to hire uh, a trumpet player for a session, um, in terms of their sound, what, you know, what are, what are the things that that you know you would want to hear in the sound of uh, of a trumpet player that to make them more of a marketable or usable uh, resource. Yeah, so I mean, uh, sound for a sound for trumpet player, regardless if it's jazz, rock, classical, whatever, you've got to have a sound that's not not raspy to the ear, um, pleasing. You know, like I'm not a huge huge fan of super super high high high. It's so piercing, and you know, I, I don't practice in as much high notes as I should. I use different underparts for my my work. I have a Reeves ES. And he dug it down for me a little bit because I was bottoming out on his stock ES. I ha- I have a Marcinkowitz rim that I thread to underparts to be that player for that type of music. And I, if I showed you my non-plated ES custom, you'd go, how in the world do you get anything through that throat and that cup? It's, it's almost like a double cup. So sound-wise, that's not going to be my greatest sound I'm not going to use that on a classical film score trying to play um trying to do like a Malcolm McNabb type solo. So, sound for us trumpet players it from the first pair you know what a good sound is. I was mentioning this trumpet player in the summer. This guy sound, he's using a shallow mouthpiece because he needs a shallow mouthpiece to do what he does. Now, I'm a huge fan of practicing on my, I use a loud 3C underpart back when it was called loud. Now it's called uh, Steve Patrick. Uh, I use a loud 3C underpart and Rick Baptist hit me to that. Uh, and I use a Marcinko's 300 rim, which is like a 3C, but it's got, it's got a softer bite to it. And it's the only thing I can play since 1988. And I have three of them, right? So you've got to have a concept in your sound you need a cup for a decent sound. Now that that cup is not going to work for an Earth, Wind, and Fire type kick because the compression's not there. Unless you're a freakish player, your compression's not there. You're not going to make it through the gig on a three C on, on a gig like that. So you sacrifice a little sound for range. But at the core of your trumpet playing sound, it has to emulate from having a natural vibration. I don't know if you can hear it on the iPad. You know, I always try to be like if, if I'm starting the day, I could have some fuzzies in the sound. There are some fuzzies in everybody's sound. I've heard it in everybody. You know, it's called meat. We have meat here. So the original concept of what a good trumpet sound is, you have to have listened to it and you have to have a large enough cup to be able to realize because the more 
cup you have, the more room your lips have to be able to vibrate, that vibration again, the greater your sound is. And then also use that as a gauge for the type of music we're doing. You know, classical-wise, it's a different animal. You've got to just have that beautiful sound. And obviously a classical player is not going to use a shallow mouthpiece anyway. So on the pop thing, it's a little more, it's a little iffier, you know. Sometimes you're hiring somebody because they have range abilities, and you know they're not going to get hired to play in the low register. So, you know, I think most guys are going to tell you, uh, even Louis Doswell, he says, you know, unless you're a freak of nature, your 3C compression-wise is going to kill you eventually. You know, so that sound, I, I want to say uh, uh, it's a listening thing, too. you got to love, like, good God. Whose sound do we love? Phil Smith's sound. Good Lord. Um, you know, uh, sounds that you want to sound like, you know, like, you know, um, it, it varies, though, for, for the types of music. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah, good. Yeah. All right. Excellent. All right. Let's move on to the next one. You actually kind of touch on this a little bit uh, to begin with. Uh, this is uh, called Geared Up. It's about... Our gear is brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces. Venture, where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code uh, TrumpetGurus21 at checkout and receive uh, 10% off your order. Uh, but uh, let, let's maybe talk about gear from a slightly different perspective. Uh, as you're talking about what yeah. you about your setup, but um, as a you know, as someone who is a a, a session player, you, you play sessions yourself and you contract uh, sessions for other people. Um, you know, what, what are kind of the, uh, the things that you would say people should keep in mind in terms of their choice of their gear? Because I know there, there are certain, uh, like you're talking about mouthpieces, there's certain sounds you're going to get out of a certain mouthpiece, just like with the yeah. horn, there's going to be certain ones that will lend themselves to uh, different uh, things. So, so how do you, you go about uh, suggesting to people uh, how to look at their gear for uh, the kind of yeah. work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I'll get up, hit up uh, just on a blind email because everything that I do is fine. Everything I do is findable on the internet for years and years of Google searches. And so if you type in uh, musician contractor Los Angeles, orchestra contractor Los Angeles, I come up on page one, chrisTedesco.com. And I will get an email from other players. I got an email from a drummer the other day, but I will get an email from a trumpet player and uh, they'll say, hey, I'm new in town. I studied at, um, oh God, uh, I studied at such and such. Or, uh, and uh, I played I played some classical, I played some jazz. I'm new to town. I'm, I'm wondering what to do. Uh, I'm new, in, you know, shit, I was new in town. It was uh, 1987, I was 26. So, yeah, I was 26 when I moved there. It's like, so I did the same thing. I called up people. I said, hey, I'm starting off at the bottom. I came here with one flugel mouthpiece and one trumpet mouthpiece. Maybe maybe I had a 3C and I had a, I had a Yamaha before they started looking like box. I don't know. It was like 11B4. It was like a stock Yamaha thing that came with some horn. You know, so I had two mouthpieces. I didn't have a lead mouthpiece and I didn't have a bigger classical mouthpiece. You know, so then I will get hit by a trumpet player. Hey, I'm new to town. I'll say, you need to come over my house. You need to bring all your horns, all your mouthpieces, and we need to play together. You need to show me what you can do, I, you know, to hear your sound and stuff like that. So, but a lot of, lot of guys, if they want to be all around, are already hip to the different underparts 
or mouthpieces that have, you know, with the computer uh, lathe machines like GR will have uh, his stock 66 and it'll have like a classical mouthpiece, a jazz mouthpiece and a lead mouthpiece. You know, like I know Bergeron has mouthpieces, Dan Fernero. And so they have like three versions of each one, same rim because it's computer. And so I use a threadable thing. So like, it, it, uh, you know, uh, gear wise, it goes back to what you want to accomplish as a player. If if you love playing jazz courses and you're a great jazz player, and you don't want to be a lead player, and you don't want to be a you don't want to do classical trumpet sessions, and you don't want to play in orchestras, or you're like so. Then, if you're that jazz player, you you need a mouthpiece that you know. I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of nice big full sound jazz trumpet players, Freddie Hubbard. Lee Morgan. There's a different sound now these days with this airy jazz thing, which I get. It's like a really cool personal thing. I cannot do it. I've had to do it in the studio here. Kenny Rampton showed me how to do it, which means that, like you barely blow and you get this fuzzy thing. You spend so many years trying to get this great sound, this great big buttery sound, right? And they want you to sound airy like this, you know, like this midnight oil jazz player, smoky, smoky. And, um, so, so like, I'm a huge fan of those big trumpet sounds jazz-wise, right? You know, Nicholas Payton, god damn. Uh, when he first came out, I, you know, I think the dude played a New York Bach in, like, a 1C, and he was fearless. He He's like Freddie Hubbard, but on 10, right? And so, for me, going back to being the chameleon guy, and I want to say, you know, master of all, uh, jack of all, master of none, I, I'm very convincible on each one of these styles to a certain degree. You know, and so, I mean, I know a lot of guys that have this pouch. This is a Reeves pouch, but there's other people making this pouch. And if that seems like a lot, <laughs> I got a desk over here behind me. Uh, but it's not, I'm not using any of the stuff on the desk, right? I'm, I'm using a Curry uh, C to J, which is like the Reeves classical to jazz. It's like a flugelhorn mouthpiece with an underpart. Everything's been threaded by a French horn repair guy, brass repair guy, that's threaded to Reeves 32 threads. So this is a huge flugel-like, uh, but it's a trumpet shank, and I use that for way deep classical playing, not going high, getting all the fuzzies out of the sound, sounding like sounding like this only trumpet. Uh, Tim Morrison, you're hip to Tim Morrison, right? He doesn't play anymore, he just teaches. That guy's vibrato and sound, and I did study with Tim, when I was going for some classical auditions just to force myself to practice. I, I don't expect to get a job in an orchestra in LA, but I would do the process and go and take the audition just to see how I would do it. But I would take lessons with Tim Morrison, Malcolm McNabb. Um, and, and then, so I studied with Tim and boy, does he got a great sound. And so uh, I think he messed up his chops. He only teaches and he goes through hundreds of mouthpieces. So that large underpart works tremendously for low, beautiful trumpet playing, even jazz stuff. Uh, I have a Reeves M cup, stock M, no numbers to the shank uh, or backbore. And then that Reeves ES, which is literally that. You see how shallow that is? Yeah. I put a rim on that. I can still play that because that, that throat is like a double Parduba cup. Mm -hmm. Now, not the, not the holy grail for lead playing, but I, I can do what I need to do on it. And I've never played it. Bob did it himself. And it's got to be about 15 years old. Never played it. 
and that's my screamer. And then I have cornet underparts. Um, I have cornet underparts, and I think that's it. Like so, each one of those is chameleon-like. And then if you can see on the wall, um, I've got every horn C, D, E flat, piccolo, flugel, uh, cornet. Uh, I have an F French horn, which I hate playing because F horn is like messes with your head. It messes with your your pitch. You know, what do you call it? Uh, good Lord, there's a B-flat French horn. I have a Yamaha Pro B-flat French horn. Can you see the rim on it? Yep. The trumpet rim threaded to a French horn underpocket. You want to talk about cheating? French horn underpart, trumpet player rim. You ever play a French horn rim? Uh, yes, I have. Okay, you want to talk about messing up your chops? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you can play everything with all the same fingerings, but you, as you go lower, you can still use alternates. So down low, a C sharp is one and two, and it's also one, two, and three. So tuning options in a French horn, you know, the hardest thing about the French horn is finding out where the water is and your hand position. Yeah. Those, those, and, and so, but a B flat French horn uh, makes total sense. I make the composers send me parts one step up from concert, and they go, "Really?" I go, "Yeah." There's B flat French horns in, in brass band music all the time. It's B flat French horn, same exact sound as a, as an F horn. Doesn't mess with my ears. Uh, the hardest thing is playing low, but you know, I don't get a lot of low parts. But like. <laughs> I can't do this last part of that, of that um, you know, that Till Uligan Spiegel. I can't get the low F concert. I can't get it. There's no, there's no freaking way. I'm a trumpet player, but I can, I can play a high F on this. You know what the thing about French horn is? You can play it all day. It doesn't hurt. It does I've not hurt. It I've doesn't hurt. Years. Right, right. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. so sometimes some of my sessions are just playing French horn parts. And I go to the guy, I go, you know, I'm not a French horn player. I do this to make more money doubling wise. Um, you know, you send me stuff and I, hey, I hear French horns in there. Do you want me to do your French horn? You know, replacing samples is what we do these days, right? Mm -hmm. So do you want me to replace your French horns? He goes, oh, sure. You know, okay, send me the parts and be flat. He goes, you're sure? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. I've probably been playing this about five years. I got a valve trombone. It's in B-flat concert. And I don't really practice it. I don't really practice the French horn that much. I, I just need a couple minutes on the French horn to get used to the notes are very close together. So, right. you know, so that that same Marcinkowitz 300 rim is my flugelhorn rim, is my French horn rim. And it, it, it amazingly fits on a French horn underpart. You know, so I'm masquerading as these other players. I mean... Can you imagine if I had to do that on a slide? No. Right? So Yeah. Yeah, you play you play that, you play that for a half
fat lip. That's how you get your airy sound on trumpet. If you want to get an airy sound on trumpet, play that valve trombone for a half hour. You know, so gear-wise, uh, you got to study what what that sound is needed for that kind of music. If you're a lead trumpet player and you're coming in town and you want to be competitive with Wayne Bergeron being that screamer, you better have a horn and a mouthpiece that you love that keeps you up there without cutting your lip. You know, if that's if that's what you'd like to do, um, if you want to do a little bit of everything, you need you need an underpart of everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then I find I find that once I zero in on something, I don't change. You know, uh, if something works, it works. Yeah. If it feels good on your face, it's going to feel good when you play music with it. Half the battle right there. Yeah. All right. Well, we have one final segment to get through. And uh You've got I, I've been talking my ass off. I'm so sorry. So uh this is the last one. And uh this is the, the fastest one, or supposed to be the fastest one. So we'll see how quick you can be, squirrel. Uh and uh this one is the Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round is a series of questions that bounce all over the place. You can't use your crib notes, even though I know you have oh, them there. Yeah, I'm looking at them. Okay, I'm putting them down. Okay. <laughs> all right, here we go. Here we go. Chris Tedesco, welcome to the Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round. Here's your first question. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Uh, my dad. My all dad. right, what's your favorite book? Rick Steves' Italy Travel Book. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Good God, you know, there's, uh, I'm, I'm in SAG after, I'm not an actor, but I, I got my SAG card back in 2010 as the marching band leader uh, of the band. And I do a couple things on camera every now and then. And I get these screeners and I just watch with my daughter, everything, everywhere, all the time or whatever that movie is out right now. Oh my God. Worst movie I've ever seen. My daughter liked it. I'm like, I don't get it. Uh, I can't get that hour and a half, two hours back. Okay. Well, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I was, I've been thinking about it, so uh, we'll see. All right. If you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Italian tour guide. Ah, official <laughs> pizza. T- uh, what is your favorite drink? Uh, my, like what? Like alcoholic drink? Anything. Uh, uh, Italian red wine. Mm, okay. Uh, you have a dinner party. Invite any three living people. Who would you want to have there? Three living. Barack Obama. Uh, three living. Barack Obama. Uh, music wise. Oh, God. Who's my hero now? Oh, my God. Barack Obama. Uh, living. Oh, music wise. Oh, Wynton Marsalis. I mean, I've hung with Wynton, but never had dinner with him. Uh, and let's say somebody else. Oh, and, uh, Al Pacino. Okay. Uh, three additional chairs at your table. Any three people from history? Clifford Brown, uh, Louis Armstrong, and uh, Ella Fitzgerald. Okay. Good dinner. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> it'll be Italian, I'm sure. Uh, lacquer plated or raw? Uh, can I pick two? I, I have some, I, you know what? Lacquer. Okay. You're a lacquer kind of guy. I uh, got silver ones too, though, but like, you know, I love my, 
my silver plated boxy trumpet uh-huh. it's silver for a reason it's brighter i love it but uh yeah let's say lacquer okay uh what's your favorite quote uh it's probably in my outgoing email. I don't know if I, 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 sometimes I take those off if I already know somebody. Uh, that I have to look at. Good God. Uh, uh, Tommy Tedesco. Think big, talk small, and thank God. Uh, okay. There you go. Uh, what's your greatest fear? Uh, Jesus. Like uh, everything? Uh, music wise, somehow that top, you know, cause I learned damage in my lip that that top lip will vibrate if air goes past it. So pff, maybe one day, no, no top lip vibration music wise, uh, other fear life wise, uh, uh, maybe not living long enough to see my kids, uh, really do what they want to do. Okay. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Uh, I think uh, superpower. What is, is like a Marvel movie? Superpower. I think flying. Like if you could fly yourself. Okay. Yeah, make it easier to get over to Italy. Uh, <laughs> what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? Uh, you mean like uh, what people do, like as players? Yeah, I mean the the thing that that that, that people emphasize uh, give more more weight than maybe they should. You know, the, the, the high note game is, is, is like, you know what? Trumpet players love to hear other guys just like killing it, right? And I do not want to take any anything away from anybody that can play up there and just have a blast. And they obviously love to do it. Um, you know, like, you know, the guys that do it, they do it so well. Mike Lovett, Wayne Bergeron, Louis Doswell, um, you know, they're faddest. And good God, these guys are like, you know... And, I, I can't listen to that a long, long time. Uh, I I want to hear I want to hear the ballad that doesn't go above an F concert, you know. So I don't want to just say generally high notes are overrated because a gorilla can learn how to do it. Guess what? My top range is an F concert, uh, and then I'm in Pro Tools pitching something up a step, you know, because I can't. You can't really go much farther than a step, but. Um, I want to say super scream. My my wife said it perfectly a couple of years ago. I was watching Maynard Ferguson video from the mid seventies live at the top, mm-hmm. which was a restaurant in in Rochester, and it's a great video. And she comes in, and I'm watching it, and she goes, "Do people really like that?" She goes, "It sounds like somebody's letting the air out of a balloon," and you know, and she's kind of right. But like you know, Maynard was a pop star, man. He he. He, he arranged every pop tune out there and made it viable for the public. You know, so there's commerce in that. And like the high note thing is great, but I want to hear you on Racy play Chinatown instead. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so the converse of that, what aspect do you think is the most underrated? Uh, soft, beautiful, low playing, most underrated. Uh, controlled, it's the hardest thing to do. I don't, you know, I don't know how much classical you do, but I can tell you right now, the most humbling piece of practice is page one of Schlossberg. You know, I got my Schlossberg book, I guess. Oh my God, you want to humble yourself? That's what you, if you went to a lesson with you on Racy, which I did many times, 
Sloshberg page one, and you find out how good a trumpet player you are. Right. Oh my I'll, God. I'll check that out for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Uh, I, being an all styles guy, I'd go back and say, uh, you on the Miller band that's making fun of these solos, uh, stay six months and then leave. Not, not, uh, two weeks, four weeks. Okay. Uh, and while you're back there, you're going to give yourself one piece of advice about life. Life in general. Um, uh, don't sweat the small stuff. In other words, only only get heated up over the stuff that needs getting heated up for. All right. And uh, final question for you, uh, Chris, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, God, like if, if I'm gone and people talk about me here in L.A., good Lord. Uh, I love putting money in people's pockets. Um I love the, like when I go to work, my atmosphere on a job or a session is different than some other atmospheres here in LA. Oh, for some big stuff. In other words, I had this conversation with Malcolm McNabb with Mike Lovett a couple of weeks ago. You know, they, they had a lot of fun in their days of doing stuff. Now, mind you, there was five orchestras working at the same time on five different movies or five different TV shows. So you could mess around in Tommy Tedesco's day and Malcolm McNabb's day, you could mess around and have fun because you're not going to get fired because everybody plays at a high level. You know, Tommy used to mess around a lot. Malcolm, they used to pull pranks on other trumpet players and other players in the orchestra. You do that now. There are, there are two or three contractors in town. There's a cello guy that's super uptight, hate working for him. And I don't work that much for other contractors because I contract myself. They don't need somebody that does their same job. They are very, very... Um, uh, self-conscious of that. So many times I'm not asked to that party because I do their job. And I think I do my job really well. I create an environment that's super fun. So when people take my job, they don't have to worry about like, you know, I, of course you got to show up, you show up on time, you play well, but you're going to have fun on my jobs. Some jobs I only contract and conduct, love conducting. Doesn't hurt. It's not a trumpet. So, you know, one of the top contractors in town has the worst reputation of being the biggest a-hole in town, but he's got the most amount of work. And uh, he, he, he fear mongers in the studio during the sessions. Uh, he, he plays with people's heads. <clears throat> Let's say you have one of his demo sessions making 40 bucks an hour. You get called from me uh, to make full rate movie rate, you know, 300 bucks for three hours or 350, 400, whatever. He will not let that player out of that low-budget demo rate to go work for Chris. He'll hold you to that low job just to be a prick. And so this un uneth unethical stuff, um, fear, uh, playing with people's careers, creating uh, everybody I talk to, they're like, oh, God, yeah. I, yeah, they'll say, hey, I'll say, you know, I'm booking some play players coming up and it's getting busy coming up. And they'll say, oh, no, I can't do it. I'm working for so-and-so that week. And I'll go, and they'll go, yeah, I hate working for him, but I got to take the money. Good God, why do you want to be that guy? You know, so when I book something, it could be a big band thing. You know, we got into this because it was more fun than anything else. Okay. You literally are still playing trumpet 
because it's more fun than anything else. So I, I try to sit back and get out of my get out of my my space and go, okay, what's what's up with this job? Does it pay enough? Great. Uh, can I hire people I like? Great. Uh, is everybody sane? My criteria is got to play great. You got to cover the music of the job, whatever it is. And I know what everybody does. And there's some new young players sometimes I might not know, maybe some specialty instruments. So got to cover the music, whatever it is. Uh, my other thing is you got to need the money. So do I call Malcolm McNabb to sit next to me to play a classical session for a little movie or a TV show? He doesn't need the money. Does he want to come and do it? He told me a couple of weeks ago, yeah, I'll come and do that. I'll sit second now. I'm retired. You know, but then I know when it's time to get in the car, he's going to go, oh, shit, man. Why did I say yes to this? You know, so like he doesn't need the money. So I try to think of play the job. You need the money. Uh, you're not insane. And you're not part of the problem why L.A. is working less than it's ever has in the history of Hollywood. We're a global economy, but L.A. is only grabbing only a small share of the market recording worldwide. We could grab a lot more, but we'd have to match some business models around the globe, which our musicians union does not want to do. You know, so that's my criteria for going to work. So um, my legacy would be come work with me. We're going we're gonna to make music. We're going to have fun. And it's not going to be an unpleasant work environment live or session. And I think I think I I think I have that, and so maybe that's why I'm still still standing, um, you know, 35 years later. I'm, I just started my 36th year here. Wow! I know I don't look that old, right? I, you you don't you don't look you don't look a year older than me, which you are. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> but, I tell you what, man, I certainly appreciate uh, our time together because there's so much stuff that, that you've touched on. And I'd actually love to get you back on some some other time to oh, talk yeah, anytime, get, anytime. Get, sure. get deeper into some of this stuff, uh, because, yeah, it's, you know, there's so much uh, there's so much knowledge and, and, and wisdom that you've gained over the years. And, and I, I think that uh, your voice needs to be heard. Oh, so. you know what? It's I'm happy to share with anybody that anybody or any anything about what we do to make this easier because we've chosen not not such an easy path and so no uh no harm no foul i hope it helps man if it helps one person great you know that's what it's all about yeah. all right so until next time folks peace and slide grease we out thanks, thanks jose thanks for hanging with us today this podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. 